welcome to the podcast, episode two, hosted at heavymetal666.com. I'm Greg Davies, your heavy metal historian. In our previous introductory edition, we had a look at the very beginnings of heavy metal at the end of the 1960s, and the legacy left by the first big four, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, and Blue Cheer. But this week, we voyage further back in time to look at the musical genres that are direct ancestors of the metal scene. And as you'll see, the inspirations that took forth the cultural movement known as metal very greatly, from rock to blues, from classical to swing, from jazz to country and beyond. Let's begin with metal's first most obvious predecessor, rock and roll. In the decade preceding the launch of Black Sabbath, England's musical movement was dominated by the worldwide popularity of four young men from Liverpool who became known as the Beatles. Indisputably a major influence, if not the most major influence on all music that would follow, the Beatles combined rock sensibilities from the 1950s with image in their early days. Grabbing the philosophy of same but different, the Beatles had a unified image and continued to do so throughout their career, where each member looked and dressed similarly to the others, but managed to amplify their individual identities also. John, Paul, George and Ringo weren't just the member of the bands, they became the brand of the Beatles, a machine of individual but modular parts. It was an imagery formula that would be simulated by many bands for decades, including Kiss, Gore, and even the Spice Girls. Musically, however, the Beatles' development during the 1960s went from the early rock and blues sway of Love Me Do to a deeper and thought-provoking area. Lennon-McCartney became the most important writing credit in history, and the band moved into psychedelic territory also, in the likes of I Am The Walrus and Lucy In The Sky With Diamonds. The maturation of their songwriting through that decade became a major identifiable aspect of the band that would ring through the rest of the 20th century and beyond. The spread of the Beatles came with it a rush of copycat bands in the early years, from the Monkees to the Easy Beats and more. But music fans of the era, like the metal fans of today, hungered for something a little different and a little bit more edgy. Across the street, if you will, the answer came in the form of the Rolling Stones. The Stones became identified as the bad boy band very early on in their career, making news headlines across their career during that decade with songs deemed too offensive to play on the radio, from the likes of Let's Spend the Night Together to Sympathy for the Devil, two songs that laid vital prototype groundwork for many future metal bands. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. I was around when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain. Me damn sure the pilot washed his hands and sealed his face. But perhaps what was most important about the Rolling Stones was that while the Beatles continued to evolve and change and look different, the Stones stayed close to their blues rock roots and stayed relatively close to the bad boy image throughout the decade. Both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones trailed a pathway that would lead to the very foundations of heavy metal, influencing those that not only started in the early years but in the decades to follow them. But the ancestors of metal go back even further. Remaining within the confines of rock and roll, during the 1950s it was artists like Elvis Presley that were perhaps the first to establish that bad boy imagery. Important to the Beatles, the Stones and the early metal bands, Presley came from a gospel, blues and soul experience, but was in the right place 
at the right time. When his single, That's Alright Mama, came out, early rock and roll was on the rise, and he, along with others like Little Richard and Jerry Lee Lewis, rode the wave with it. Nonetheless, there was something different and significant about Elvis. His fan base was, and continues to be, incredibly dedicated, so much so that he has become known as the King of Rock. His string of number one hits would afterwards be rivaled by only the Beatles, and his television appearance of gyrating hips that offended a generation of parents cemented his position in the memory of rock and roll. But away from Memphis, and into Missouri, the other crucial contender of being a major ancestor of heavy metal came in the form of perhaps the world's first guitar hero, Chuck Berry. Coming from blues sensitivities, Berry took the groove of R&B, the attitude of rock and roll, and turned it up to 11 before Spinal Tap could even dream of it. With songs like School Days, Roll Over Beethoven, and Rock and Roll Music, Berry is perhaps the closest to rivaling Presley as the king of rock and roll. His most well-known song was Johnny Be Good, a rockin' number with a solid riff that would later be covered by many rock and metal bands, including Judas Priest. Meanwhile, in the early years of rock and roll, one of the first tours across the country featuring rock artists began, with Elvis Presley and Jerry Lee Lewis, among other well-known singers of the time, including one you might not expect. Johnny Cash, the man in black. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Anton. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy. He was on this innovative tour with Presley and Lewis. And while many associate his name with country music, and Cash has done many country records, his early material was also heavily influenced by the blues. Indeed, the man in black's music has a certain attitude about it, as evidenced by Folsom Prison Blues, Get Rhythm, Jackson and Cocaine Blues. All of these songs have lyrically more in common with the rock and metal of his future than it did with the country and rock of that era. But this ingredient of Cash's music continued throughout his career, the attitude that was embedded in his music would later motivate some of his fellow country musicians to develop a subgenre called Outlaw Country, and Cash would break new ground and cause controversy when he began performing concerts live for prisoners in Folsom and San Quentin. Right up until he died, Johnny Cash not only influenced country and rock musicians, but metal, punk, rockabilly, and many other different genres. One of his final recordings, a cover of the Nine Inch Nails song Hurt, underscores how close this attitude music had much in common with metal and other genres other than just country. But the other of Cash's influence aside from country was a style that would have key sway over the development of heavy metal, the blues. All of the first big four, Sabbath, Zeppelin, Purple, Cheer, had their origins in blues or blues rock and each member was heavily inspired by the music of the genre. Originating from the African-American people in the deep south of the United States and drawing inspirations from gospel, work music and folk music, the evolution and rise of the style is perhaps responsible for influencing nearly all of the musical genres from the 20th century. Like Johnny Cash's music, the songs arising from the blues from the 1910s to the 1940s dealt principally with attitude and feeling, predominantly elements of negative emotions running the spectrum from melancholy to sadness to anger, something that is also embedded in metal to this day. The blues became one and the same with feeling down, given reason to the phrase, I've got the blues, used frequently in the genre. Perhaps more importantly, and almost certainly because of its roots from slave music, 
The blues was an expression for the downtrodden. While it initially included racial expressions for the African Americans in the South, it eventually became about telling the narratives of living through terrible experiences, profound sadness, and recounting life in low socioeconomic areas. It was this key element, expression for the poor, that resonated strongly with many of the English musicians that would move on to create metal, with most of them coming from horrible and poverty-stricken industrial towns. Jazz and swing also played a major genetic imprint in the development of heavy metal. An outcome of the blues, jazz brought with it the element of improvisation and extended soloing, both elements that would be heavily imitated in the metal genre. The improvisation of jazz, as evidenced by artists like Miles Davis, carried with it the feel of the blues, but the extension of musical technicalities. This Bitches Brew, to take a Miles Davis reference, would prove to be a massive inspiration on progressive metal, but also to the most unlikely of inheritors, musicians from the grindcore movement of the 1980s and 1990s. In a reverse version of Influence, Alex Skolnick, lead guitarist for the thrash band Testament, would later begin his own jazz project, the Alex Skolnick Trio. And while swing seems to be an unlikely candidate as an ancestor of metal, its impact can be perceived in the very early years of heavy metal, through into the 1970s. Don't believe me? Check out this portion of Fairies Wear Boots by Black Sabbath. Geezer Butler and Bill Water undoubtedly incorporating swing into this portion of the song, an indication that this musical genre was a big inspiration for these musicians. But music, some would argue, is infinite and the inspirations many. While the contemporary persuasions are there, it's in the classics that we see major influences of metal. Many of the pieces of classical works have been important to heavy metal over the many years, with many of them sounding as heavy as metal itself from Mars the Brigner of War by Gustav Holst, to Ride of the Valkyries by Richard Wagner. Some bands have even included segments of classical music into their own tunes, such as this part of Bach's Toccata and Fugue in D minor. Which was later fused into the song Blackened by Metallica. But the motivating of classical music onto metal goes beyond pure imitation. Many metal musicians have done their own renditions of the classics, such as Uli John Roth's version of Vivaldi's Seasons. Beyond this, some have even created their own symphony suites, for example, with some of the works by Yngwie Malmsteen. Additionally, classical music has heavily inspired the rise and development of symphonic metal that incorporated elements of power metal, death metal, or black metal. And in another one of those reverse-style influences, the band Apocalyptica have made their career on covers of metal songs and their own original material played on cello. 
Undeniably, prehistoric metal is perhaps just as important as metal itself, and the legacy of these early genres not only live on through metal and its subgenres, but has encouraged many metal fans to go back and rediscover this amazing music for themselves. And now it's time for a prehistoric mosh. As we talked about earlier, blues has been a key inspirational component of the development of metal, but Robert Johnson brought an element into his music that would be emulated by many metal musicians for generations. Satan. He was notorious for his song Crossroads, where he made a deal with the devil. Here's a sample of one of his follow-up songs to Crossroads, called Hellhound on My Tail, in which the devil comes to collect his debts. Johnson's guidance on blues, rock, and metal through the years has been well documented and is responsible for propagating the Crossroads legend. He was also considered to be the first member of the 27 Club, dying at the young age of 27. And now, let's take a glance at this week in metal news. Legendary director Martin Scorsese is planning to direct a movie about the Ramones, with a plan for a release in 2016 to celebrate the 40th anniversary of their debut album. The film is said to be a biopic about the group and their lasting influence. Vocalist Jimmy Jamieson, who fronted hard rock group Survivor from 1984 to 1988, died this week from a heart attack. He was 63 years old. Slayer are back in the studio, working on a new album with producer Terry Date. Tom Araya recently stated that they are aiming for an early 2015 release. Devin Townsend has announced that he will be releasing the long-awaited sequel to Ziltoid the Omniscient on October 28. The album, entitled Z2, will be a double album, with the concept focusing on the alien Ziltoid doing battle with the Devin Townsend project. Faith No More announced this week that they would be finally going back into the studio to record their first album since 1997. A limited version of the single Motherfucker, played live earlier this year, will be released in December. 
The album itself will be released in April 2015. On the topic of new albums, Chuck Billy from Testament spoke recently about the band's current project, the follow-up to Dark Roots of the Earth, is scheduled for an early 2015 release, and Chuck hopes for a March street date. Black Veil Brides are also back with a new album. It's titled Black Veil Brides 4, produced by Bob Rock, and will be released on October 28. In the mysterious metal story of the week, Ozzy Osbourne launched a Facebook page for a new project called Ozzy Osbourne's Hellgate. Nobody has any clue what this event or attraction may be, but his PR team stated it will be coming in October 2015. Chimera have broken up. After 15 years, the band have announced they're calling it quits. This announcement comes days after guitarist Emil Wurstler left the band. And finally, in a WTF story of the week for heavy metal historian, an Exodus fan in Greenville, Kentucky was arrested this week for posting lyrics to the band's song, Class Dismissed. According to news reports, James Evans was arrested because he was threatening to kill students or staff at a local school. The lyrics of the song recount the horror associated with school shootings. Evans spent eight days in jail and will undergo a mental evaluation as a part of this case. Exodus guitarist Gary Holt responded to this. The idea that an individual in this great country of ours could be arrested for simply posting lyrics to a song is something I never believed could happen in a free society. James Evans was simply posting lyrics to a band he likes on Facebook and he was locked up for it. On the next Heavy Metal Historian, we plunge into the realm of etymology and explore where the name metal comes from and why it was applied to the genre. We also take a look at the origins of the names of many of the subgenres too. We take a look at what's in a name. We'll see you next time on the Heavy Metal Historian, Hails and Horns, and until next time, here's a glance at the effect of the Beatles on heavy metal, with Lemmy Kill Mr. of Motorhead and his version of Back in the USSR.